0: Working with Bobby definitely taught me about seasonality and we would do menu change every season with him. So I learned a lot of like administrative work working with him and his his team and the management staff that they had there in regards to food costs and labor costs and just managing people in general and how to be a good mentor for cooks in the kitchen, how to teach them. I really feel from him, I learned the fundamentals of how to make good food and how to teach other people how to make good food.
1: Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft... Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 112 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. My guest today is Leah Gaccione, chef and owner of South and Pine American Eatery, in Morristown, New Jersey. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the U.S. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the country, understanding their path to success and how their cultural background influences their creative process. Chef Leah Gaccione, Worked with Bobby Flay and has been on many TV cooking shows like Iron Chef America, Big Bobby Flay and Top Chefs. We talk about her experience at these cooking competitions, her food concept at South and Pine and her creative process. She also shares a guidelines for cooking a pork chop recipe for the fall. Hi, Chef. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. And welcome to the Flavor Unknown podcast.
0: Amazing. Thanks for having me.
1: Are you originally from New Jersey?
0: I am born and raised, yep. Born
1: and raised. Yep, Jersey girl
0: through and through. Okay,
1: (laughs) I will not hold that against you. (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) You
0: can't control the things that come out of my mouth though, so (laughs) I'll try to keep it PG.
1: (laughs) So what food and what smell especially reminds you of, of your childhood?
0: Oh, wow, that's a great question. Anytime I smell anise, that really reminds me of my childhood because there was a bakery down the street growing up called Carmela's that my mom used to take us to weekly and okay. they always baked these Italian cookies with anise in them. So anytime I smell that, I j- automatically go back to that time.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. So anise.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yep.
1: And where was that? In which? Uh, in we- Clifton. In Clifton.
0: In Clifton, New That's Jersey. Yep. Okay. It's and- no longer there. It's a bike shop now. But when I pass it, I could still envision the bakery. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Have you tried to uh, to make them, those, those cookies? I not? think a
0: few years ago for Christmas, I got a little ambitious and I baked like nine different kinds of cookies. But yes. one of my aunts makes them. Oh, okay. And like my parents separated and were divorced when I was really young. So I've just recently reconnected with my dad's side of the family. So last year for Christmas we went over to my aunt's house and she made those cookies and I was like yes this is what I need in my life they were so good
1: what's the name of them do you know or no?
0: they're like little Italian okay. uh, like round mean. white cookies with yeah. like a glaze on top mm-hmm. and the little round sprinkles they were, they're that is like home to me yeah
1: okay very good so you have made food your life's work why
0: well after the past three years I'm really starting to question that one. <laughs>
1: We'll come to that a bit later.
0: Well, growing up, I always really loved watching cooking shows. And my mom was a single mom, but she would cook for us. So we we were never bored with food. We did have somewhat humble beginnings because my mom was a single mom. And so like, you know, we used to eat a lot of canned vegetables. She always gave us broccoli or asparagus and artichokes. My neighbor up the street had a nice garden in her backyard. So there was always fresh veggies from there. But watching cooking shows is really what started my love affair with food. And I was always very enamored with watching people cook on television. I remember watching Yan Can cook and watching him like blow through an onion with a knife so fast. And I was like, I want to be able to do that one day. That's kind of where it
1: started. Okay. So you already talked about like cooking shows. So it started like very young, this very young, you know, for it. So You appeared in a lot of different, you know, cooking shows. Iron Chef America, Big Bobby Flay, Iron Chef Shut Down, Chopped, you know, Top Chef in Houston. So, what was the motivation beside that connection with your childhood? I would say (laughs) to participate in all those TV shows.
0: I was actually scared shitless when I worked with Bobby Flay. He obviously was Mm -hmm. all over. Food Network. And he was doing Iron Chef. And like, there's always that time of year where they're like doing that show. And one of the other chefs couldn't do it. And so he was like, you're in. And Ah. I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. And I knew I was going to cut. I was just so nervous. I was going to cut myself. And so before the show starts you got a tour of the kitchen. And so we set up like a little emergency section in a bowl. There were band-aids and antiseptic and (laughs) that's mine. Yeah. Like I knew where it was. So I was like, okay. And as we started, you know, they start the clock 60 minutes. I had a lot of mandolin work to do. Mm. So I had to cut Fresno's ginger, garlic, like a bunch of stuff on the mandolin. And I was blowing through it. And the cameraman got really close in my face and he goes, ow, 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 ow. And I was like, can you please stop that? Like, please. And then I sliced my hand from like the base of my knuckle all the way down to the base of my palm. (sighs) And uh, I dropped the mandolin and I go, Renee, she was Bobby's culinary director. I was like, Renee, I cut myself. And she goes, come over here. So we like washed it off and put a Band-Aid on it and threw a glove on it. Well, the glove filled up with blood. No way. We had to take it off. We had to put another one on filled up with blood again. Paramedics had to come out. They're like 30 minutes remain. I'm like, wrap it up. Let's go. They taped a black glove to my hand and you could see it oh in that gosh. episode, but wow. we, we ended up winning. And then after that, I was like, this is so fun. Like, <laughs> really? Like What a rush. And so, yeah, now I love doing the cooking competitions. They are a lot of fun and big adrenaline rush and very nerve wracking, but like I feel like this industry prepares you for that. Every day is like Iron Chef How is it different though? Cooking shows like on a day-to-day basis. You know what you're getting yourself into on a day-to-day basis. You have a prep list planned out. When you go into a cooking competition, you don't know what the ingredients are going to be. And you know, that's sometimes you might not know the ingredients. Like Chopped was insane because it was Alton Brown's maniacal basket challenge. And so he had his viewers pick- like the most obscure ingredients that mm-hmm. you could imagine. And I've never worked with many of these ingredients. So I feel like that was very challenging. So how
1: do you approach things like this when you discover those ingredients and you have no clue you never cooked with them?
0: You have to go back to your back to basics and just think about flavor profiles and texture. And sometimes you just wing it. <laughs> you try to mask certain flavors. There was one ingredient called lutefisk, which is like a Scandinavian specialty. It's It's fish that's preserved in lye and it smells god awful. And the texture, like it's like a sponge, but you could stick your finger through it. It's soft but spongy. And I was like, well, we're going to make a fish cake out of this. And so I threw it in the food processor and I used tuna noodle casserole as a binder. You just start pulling it out of the archives and you just get it done.
1: Okay. So things that you have in your. Memory data bank.
0: Yes, there's you know? somewhere in there.
1: Somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. And then you decide, you know, how you are going to pair it, like you know, which other ingredients. Yeah. In order l- to balance the flavors, you know. Right. So
0: it was Ludafisk, tuna noodle casserole, dill pickled flavored jelly beans, and black radish. And you literally open the basket and they're like, all right, take a look at your ingredients and go. And you have to just go. So so I took the pickled flavored jelly beans. I made a pickling liquid out of that with vinegar. They were sweet already. didn't need sugar. I put a little bit of salt and I pickled the black radish in that. And then the tuna noodle casserole and the lutefisk, I blended up. I binded it with some breadcrumbs, some egg. I made a little, I don't know, aioli or something on the side and And it got me through to the next round. And you
1: still remember every detail of it.
0: I do remember. It was, (laughs) it is, I have PTSD from that, I think, for sure.
1: Any big lesson that you've learned from participating to all those shows?
0: I think the important thing is to stay true to yourself. It's hard, I think, in general, but I think more so maybe as a woman in this industry, To feel like you are enough. I think imposter syndrome is a real thing. And when you're surrounded by that many talented people, you kind of have a little bit of self-doubt. But I think it's really important just to stay true to yourself and represent yourself the best way possible.
1: Okay. Would you do uh, another one?
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so me people listen. Anybody (laughs) anybody out there?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure they are listening to like (laughs) Flippers Unknown, but you never know. I hope so. (laughs) You never know. What have been your most influential person in your career?
0: Oh, wow. I would say two people have been the most influential. Obviously, I worked with Bobby Flay for, Mm -hmm. you know, a little like almost eight years. And he really taught me so much. He is very talented. That man could cook his ass off. But he also is a very smart business person and working with him and his team, they've really set the foundation for me to be able to have my own business. Mm -hmm. So I would say that he's, you know, on the top of the list. And then my other one of my other mentors, Carl Ruiz. Okay. I don't know if you know him.
1: The name, yes, but I never, yeah.
0: So uh, I worked with him. We opened Stone Cubano in Montclair. Okay. I walked in and I met him and he hired me as a line cook. And the first day I showed up to work, he was like, you're my sous chef. And I was like, what? I've never been a sous chef before. And he kind of really threw me into the fire. And I had such a blast working with him. We opened Cuban Pete's together mm-hmm. in Montclair. I think I I think I said the wrong name. So Cuban Pete's was in Montclair And then we moved into the city to Son Cubano on 9th and 14th. And the kitchen was in the basement there. And Friday and Saturday nights at like 10 o'clock, they would have a live band come and play salsa. And it was just so fun. And like, there would always be a lull in the middle of the night at like 7 o'clock. And we would turn the music up in the kitchen. And I would be in the corner flickering the lights on and off. And we would all be dancing and having a great time. And he taught me a lot by giving me a lot of responsibility and having me figure out how to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Being the sous chef, right? You know, from the get go. Yes.
0: Wow. The first night Cuban Pete's opened to the public, I was on expo. I'd never expedited at that point in my life. The tickets were literally from the machine down to the floor, making Mm -hmm. a trail like talk about (laughs) <laughs> like the things that nightmares are made of. That was one of those things that like sometimes I'll wake up sweating just thinking about that disaster of a night. But like when you're thrown into situations like that, mm-hmm. you just have to figure it out. Like you have to pull through.
1: Because that's your passion. Because And this is your mood right for
0: that. You want to do so, it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it helps you learn a lot faster yeah, yeah, yeah. than somebody holding your hand and doing it for you.
1: Okay, and Bobby Flay then... On top of the cooking aspect and the skills and so on, it was as well like all the elements on like the business that he. Yeah. So I learned learned a lot
0: of like administrative work working with him and his team and the management staff that they had there in regards to food costs and labor costs and just managing people in general and how to be a good mentor for cooks in the kitchen, how to teach them. I really feel from him, I learned the fundamentals of how to make good food and how to teach other people how to make good food. Okay. I, it's simple. It's a little secret, the most simple thing. Taste every time. Sure, It's not like rocket yeah, yeah. science. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very simple, but it's hard to get people to consistently do that on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, We are going to talk about the food concept here at the South End Pine, but and I know you will work a lot of local, you know, farmers. And so where did you learn how to develop the contact and the relationships, you know, with those individuals?
0: I had never worked with okay. really any place that worked locally. I think working with Bobby definitely taught me about seasonality and mm-hmm. we would do menu change every season with him. So when I opened South and Pine, that was part of my concept here to change the menu seasonally. And then right when we opened, another company opened called Harvest Drop. And the owner of that place is Oliver. You should talk to him. He's an awesome person. He kept coming in every day. Hey, can I talk to the chef? My staff. I was like working. I worked 90 days straight when we opened this place. I was insane. I was a very different version of myself because when you work 90 days straight for like 15, 16, 17 hours a day, like you are just, it's impossible to be the best version of yourself. So my staff finally looked at him and they were like, you don't want to talk to her today. She's been here for three months straight. Like, Give her a little space and come back. So he came back. Finally, I made a meeting with him and he brought me mushrooms. And I was like, wow, these are the most beautiful, flavorful mushrooms I've ever seen in my life. Then he came back and brought me eggs. And I cracked an egg and it was so bright orange. I was like, I have never seen a more beautiful egg. And we opened in May. I think he opened in June. So we opened just at the same time. And little by little, he grew his list of ingredients that he carried. And I started ordering more and more from him. And now I order, I order my beef from him, my pork from him, lamb, eggs, chicken, and then whatever vegetables or fruits are in season right now, we're getting apples, Brussels sprouts, parsnips, squash. I mean, all of those fall and winter goodies. And so that's been really incredible. And it also takes a lot of the work out for me. Instead of me going to a bunch of different farms and sourcing from the farms, I have one point person that then goes to, you know, 75 farms and sources all of those ingredients for me, and which through is great.
1: And have you ever ask farmers to grow something specially for you or, uh, or raise, worked, you know, if it's an animal?
0: I've but. worked with another local farm here, actually in Morristown. They were growing microgreens and we were getting sunflower sprouts from them and micro arugula from them. But when you have somebody like Oliver who has everything, it's like one less thing for me to do. So no, but he'll run it. He'll okay. run things by me and he'll be like, Hey, do you use this in the restaurant? And I'll be like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I have a local farmer that's making that. I'm going to talk to them and see what we can do. Like the beef thing. He didn't have beef before. And then he found in Pennsylvania that was raising cows and and his beef is really, really good and so competitively priced against all the other vendors that are not sourcing locally.
1: So let's talk about the food concept at South End Pine.
0: Okay. So what is it? So our concept here is seasonal American. I love that concept because I think America has so many different influences and so many different cultures. And while the dishes may not be super authentic to whatever we're pulling inspiration from, those flavors are present. My muse to create the menu is always what's in season. So, like yesterday, I worked on making all my mise en place list for my winter menu change. So, what is winter? Winter is cara cara oranges and blood oranges and dark leafy greens and parsnips and root veggies. I mean, winter's not as exciting as summer. Let's be honest, sure, explain, <laughs> especially yeah. in New mm-hmm. Jersey. But that's really what the basis is is working with what's in season to create kind of interesting but familiar dishes that people want to come here and eat more than once a week. Like, So
1: can we take an example from maybe a dish that you are going to put in the in, menu in the yeah. menu on, uh, winter? Uh, yes. I know, sorry, I put you on the spot. Yeah, but- no,
0: let me, I'm going, I'm ruffling through all the uh, dishes. So I want to put on a, a citrus and pomegranate salad with feta cheese and crispy quinoa and baby mustard greens.
1: This is the one with a cara caracara orange. Yeah, there'll be caracara yeah.
0: cara orange, maybe some grapefruit in there, local feta cheese from Harvest Drop, pomegranate seeds. I think that I put some hazelnuts in there. I think hazelnuts and citrus go really well together. You know, you have to think about flavors, texture. So like the salad's going to be in my brain. It sounds so yummy because it's like a little sweet, a little tart, a little salty from the feta, you know, tartness and sweetness from the pomegranate and citrus, then we're going to put crispy quinoa so in there. You hit so
1: the, all the tastes. Yeah. So like that's that's,
0: that's how my brain and works. And what will be
1: the uh, dressing?
0: The dressing is going to be like a pomegranate molasses dressing. So sweet, kind of sweet and tart. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited.
1: So inspiration from the produce. But, you know, I know that you recently went to Greece and then traveled there. So travel, our travels as well, source yeah, of inspiration. Huge and source of inspiration. And if it's the case... If there's anything that you are bringing back in your brain, you know, from, you know, your experience in Greece that maybe will hit your menu one day.
0: I feel like Greece is a much better inspiration for a summer menu. Sure. There's like yeah. so much simply grilled seafood there. And, you know, tomat- like we literally ate tomato cucumber salad with every meal. So I feel like once we get closer to summer, I'll use a little bit more of that inspo. But yeah, traveling is huge inspiration. I don't travel anywhere like the... Number one thing on the list for traveling somewhere is where are we going to eat? I don't care where we're going to stay. <laughs> like, I want to know. I want to plan breakfast, lunch, second lunch, like appetizers and cocktails and then dinner. Like, I want to eat all of it. <laughs> I I know just, I I just want to eat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not a chef, but I do exactly the same thing. I'm going to take my kids to Miami for the holidays, you know, break. And I have already made my map on Google map, you know, with all the places, like from coffee roasters to, you know, restaurants for lunch and pastries yeah. in the afternoon. If you and need dinners a good coffee
0: and, shop, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. can't. Like, people are like, I'll just stop at Starbucks. I'm like, no, what's the best coffee
1: shop? A coffee roaster. You Exactly. Want to, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, that's important. So any specifics from uh, from Greece? That's really. I
0: really love those horta cafetes, which are like little patties. It's basically like spanikopita filling, but made into a little patty. And it would be a great time of year to do that. I don't have that on my list right now, but now that you mention it, I'm gonna take another look at my list and maybe reevaluate what we have on there. No, and I looked at that for like hours yesterday, and I feel kind of cross-eyed by it. Although sure. <laughs> I, I went to the gym this morning, and on the way back. I was thinking about the skate dish. I want to put a skate dish oh, on the nice. menu with a parsnip puree and brown butter, but I couldn't complete it. But I don't know. Driving for me is gives me space in my head to think. So I was thinking we're gonna do a parsnip puree, crispy skate wing, and then I'm gonna make like a brown butter sauce with cranberry and orange and then some roasted Brussels sprouts with it. And I feel like that sounds really yummy. Yeah,
1: I'm getting hungry yeah, here. Yeah, me too. Like, what are we eating you, for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. We are just in, you know, I don't know, I can say if it's the end of the pandemic. We are still not sure. There's the inflation. So how have you changed the approach on your menu because of those situations?
0: Can we say end of the pandemic? We don't really know, but definitely the beginning of the recession. I mean, prices of everything are atrocious not to mention labor costs. You know, the minimum wage has gone up in New Jersey and other restaurants open who will remain unnamed, but maybe big famous chefs here in Morristown. And they start paying their cooks $22 an hour. And I was paying them $18 an hour. So it's like, you need to be competitive and I mean, that's a whole other conversation we could have about fair compensation, especially between front of the house and back of the house, which is a big struggle and something that needs to change on a national sure. level.
1: It was the case before the, the pandemic, big but time. I think pandemic put it like, you know, in front of like everyone.
0: Big time. Big
1: time, which is good.
0: Definitely. <laughs> and and like these people work so hard Absolutely. and they deserve, you know, to be paid More than fairly. I mean, this is not easy work. It's 120 degrees back there, and you're pumping for five hours straight. You don't have time to eat some days. You don't have time to go to the bathroom. Sometimes it's hard. So
1: it's. And I think the people need to understand that. People don't realize, I get it. You come to a restaurant, you want to have a good time. You were there with your family, with your friends, but be a little bit relaxed, you know, and don't put pressure on top of already. The daily pressure that those people are and, going through. And those people, because maybe there's salt missing or whatever the case is.
0: Those people make me that that's the reason I should stay in the kitchen. <laughs> because I should not talk to those people who don't
1: understand. Don't that. curse on the podcast, <laughs> uh, please. <laughs> yes,
0: that is also another challenge. And I feel like unfortunately, maybe this is controversial, but Through the pandemic, we have seen such a divide in this country, and to see the way some people have treated my staff is sickening. Just such a level of entitlement. Some people are so rude. I can never imagine walking into a business and speaking the way that some of these people do to my staff, and I have actually asked people to leave. I have- Good for uh, you. I have- walked outside and confronted people for not leaving a tip for my servers who work really hard. But that is the exception. That's not the rule. I would say... Yeah, but
1: it can ruin like the whole evening, you know?
0: It definitely can. And it's a mora- It's a kick to the morale. And especially
1: when someone has worked their ass off and are really tired and, you know. So I'm just asking people and listening, going to restaurants, like, please be patient.
0: But just be nice, and nice. be kind. Yes, yeah, just exactly. be kind. Everything like we we want to do the best job that we can. We want to provide the best experience and it's really interesting for me here because my kitchen's open. So sometimes I'm working on the line, sometimes I'm working on the expo. This past week my general manager was sick, so I was kind of expo and floor. And so it's really sometimes it really hits me where in the beginning of a Saturday night, I'll see a couple people sit here in the back of the dining room and I can see that they're on a date and they're really enjoying themselves and they engage with the server and they're asking questions and they're excited to be here. And in those moments, I'm like, wow, we're here providing an experience for people on a daily basis that's so special to them. Like we're doing it every day. So sometimes you need to check yourself and be like, we need to make this the best dinner that they're going to have because maybe it's their one date night out of the month, or maybe they had such an awful day and they're coming here to have a couple glasses of wine and talk to friends, or maybe. Someone just died and they're coming here to mourn together. Like there's so many reasons why people come out to restaurants, not just to eat, you know? So it's like, that's, that really fills my heart to know that we can be a part of making a special night or day for people.
1: So going back to the being of the the questions that I had was how do you, how have you changed like the approach on the creation of menus because of the current economic situation?
0: I have to say, I don't think that I've really changed my approach. I think that certain things have had to change because it's inevitable, but I, I still want to provide the same thing that I've always wanted to provide, which is really tasty food and a warm and welcoming environment with like the best group of people working with me that I could ever imagine. This is my family and we want you to feel like you're our family when you come in here too.
1: Is there an ingredient that you discovered recently or something Mm. like a seasoning or spice? Great question. That you want to experiment with?
0: Mm. I feel like I want to go get my laptop right now and look at what (laughs) I have on the list. I did read an article about this peanut stew. It's like an African dish that sounds... So yummy to me, and I've never seen anything like it. So, like, I would like to try to do something like that on the menu. From West
1: Africa? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Okay.
0: yeah. I mean, I think it just sounds so delicious and warm, and you know, something that you don't normally see on a menu usually, but you'll be mind blown when you eat it because it's so delicious. So, I like to try to introduce things that, that we're not familiar with. Like, that's what keeps this interesting for me. And we've been here, it'll be eight years in May. So, continuing to. All right. like, Yeah. Thank you. It's pretty wild. Continuing to just learn more and create more. Like it doesn't really matter what the ingredient is. I want to work with all the ingredients. We were doing a collaboration in the month of December with Ani Ramen, which is a ramen restaurant here in Jersey. I think they have like nine locations. And so one of their chefs came last week and they're going to put one of their dishes on our menu, and we're going to put one of our dishes on their menu, which is really cool. The
1: one where? From Summit or from Yeah, in Summit, F- actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you
0: yeah. should go yeah, check out check time. out our bao bun yeah, yeah. today. But yeah, he taught me, Love um, bao me too. <laughs> and it's a buttermilk fried chicken bao bun with pickled Brussels sprouts and a bacon maple glaze. It's, oh, man. It's like crunchy, sweet, acidic. It's really, really yummy. But here we're putting on a pork belly dish. And he taught me a new technique with this puffed rice that I've never done before. And so, like, that's that's really exciting for me to, to do things that we haven't done before.
1: Okay. If there's, like, a chef, like, in the U.S. that uh, you are, not saying looking up to, but, you know, that inspires you at the moment?
0: I don't think that there's anyone specific. I mean, I, no, I can't think of anyone specific off the top of my head. Maybe that's wrong. I think I just, I really find inspiration from so much. I was in a Prince Edward Island in September for a cooking competition and I was there with 11 other chefs. And so some of the chefs were like crazy talented. I mean, just honestly, like beyond my capacity, like they're
1: In what way when you say that? Techniques or what? Yeah,
0: I would say like very high-end technique, you know, like Michelin star level. I was very, very inspired by being around them and seeing what they're doing and seeing their beautiful plates. And that makes me, you know, when you, I've had this business for almost eight years and, and I feel like I want to do things to expand my knowledge, to continue to learn. And so like one of my goals I'm saying this out loud, knock on wood, would be to go to Italy for a month and work in kitchens there and just learn things that I've never learned before. So I hope to make that a reality next year. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Cool. Yeah.
1: Maybe we can talk about it when you come back.
0: Yeah. Very cool.
1: At every episode, I ask my guests to share kind of a recipe guideline of something that's A home cook like myself, you know, can prepare at home, but with a unique spin that will be, you know, Leah's spin, Mm. you know. So can we do something on pork chops, maybe?
0: Yeah, well, I think a classic combination is pork chops and apples, right? So I actually do this at home when I cook for myself. We have a dish on the menu now that's a pork chop with caramelized apples and roasted potatoes. And then we make a nice little pan sauce and we throw some merguez. For the potatoes, we take Yukon Gold potatoes and cut them in wedges. And I started doing this at my house and I love them so much. So I put it on the menu here. So I put them into a baking dish and I season them with salt and pepper. And then I cover them about halfway up with chicken stock and put a couple pads of butter and cover them and put them in the oven for about 40 minutes and then uncover them for another 40 minutes. So they soak all that chicken stock up in them and then they get nice and crispy on the outside and golden brown. And they are like the most delicious potatoes. So I take those potatoes and mix it with merguez sausage and some roasted apples and a little bit of parsley. And that's my accompaniment for a nicely seared pork chop. And it's super easy to do at home. I do it for meal prep all the time.
1: How do you season your pork chop?
0: We brine our pork chop in apple juice and peppercorns and star anise and some cinnamon sticks and bay leaves and thyme and a little bit of lemon in there. we Brine that We brine them for about 36 hours and then pull them out, pat them dry. And then that's it. Season them oh, with yeah, a little sure. salt and pepper. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. That sounds tasty. Delicious. Yes. Guys, Absolutely. get a pork chop working now.
1: <laughs> so you were also like the host of this documentary film that we took at the beginning. Like, Her Name is Chef. How was that experience? And how did you end up being in this documentary?
0: That was... Maybe one of the best experiences I've had in my professional career. It was very eye-opening to speak with six other female chefs. Because like I said, imposter syndrome is a real thing. And then when you sit down with six other chefs who feel the same way that you feel and who have experienced the same things that you have and are struggling with the same things that you do, it feels really, I don't know, really warm. And like, you're a part of something bigger than what you're doing by yourself. It was really interesting to learn about everybody's journey and how it was different. And all of the six chefs were so unique and it was just great to connect with them on a human level, not even for, for the documentary. Yeah. it was. You
1: stayed in contact with them?
0: I stay in contact with some of them. I haven't spoken to others in a while on social media. We'll kind of hit each other and say, hi, how are you? I had dinner a few months ago at Hillary Sterling's new restaurant, Cici Aisha just opened Shuket, which is phenomenal. Like I've already been to her restaurant. I was at Gage and Tolner a few weeks ago where Caroline Schiff is the pastry chef. So yeah, I try to kind of support them and check out what they're doing. And they're all so talented and they're all so, such great human beings.
1: So interesting listening to you twice in the Recording of the podcast. You mentioned the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Do you still have that today? Yeah, of course. Why?
0: Yeah, because do we really know what we're doing? Does anybody know what they're doing in life? <laughs> do you? Do you know? What I you're mean, doing
1: the in life? image that you project is very confident, like a very confident person. Since <laughs> I, you know, I saw you, so I, I that's like really baffled me because I, that's not the way how I see you at all.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that there's always a little bit of doubt. You know, I think you. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I always feel like I can be doing better. I could know more. And I, again, like I have to check myself sometimes, like I'm me. I'm not in competition with anyone else. I'm in competition with myself. I do have a lot of confidence in what we're doing here. And there's a place for me in this industry. You know what I mean? So like, I think when you sometimes see what other people are doing, you can't help but compare yourself. I think that's normal, normal human feelings.
1: But as you said, you are you and this is your restaurant concept and that has a place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let me switch to the rapid fire questions because you have given to me a lot of your time already. So (laughs) here we go. So you and I are going on a tasting tour here in Morristown. What are like the five places that you are going to take me to? It could be bars as well. Five
0: places. Okay. I would say we're going to start off with a drink at End of Elm. They make delicious cocktails. Also, like, again, this might be controversial, but their chicken and waffles might be better than the ones that I'm serving here. Very, very tasty. So I would say we'll get chicken and waffles there and a cocktail. And then we should go to Jockey Hollow. Actually, I was just there last night. We should have some oysters Chris Cannon could pour us a beautiful glass of rosé from Mount Vesuvius that I had last night. That was
1: incredible.
0: And then I would say, I also love Sterling Tavern. I think the vibe is really good. I go there with my
1: kids sometime, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a good little spot. (sighs) Five places. I don't get out much. Asahi Sushi down on Morris Street excellent excellent okay the Never owners been there. are so nice they make their own soy sauce if you order takeout they write handwritten notes in the bag for you thanking you for for your business really okay. really kind and really good
1: quality and if you want the last one you want to expand outside of Morristown. town um, no the last no. one
0: we need sweets to end okay. the meal and so we're gonna go to the artist baker who is like a magician have you had her nope. s'mores cake? Have you I,
1: ha- oh, I, I think I've never been there.
0: You should go there right now. <laughs> the s'mores cake is it's like I almost don't want to go there because I got two pies from her for Thanksgiving. I literally ate three quarters of one pie by myself. Oh,
1: by myself. That's why you have to go to the gym in the morning. This is
0: this is exactly why I have to go to the gym in the morning. Her crust is oh so gosh. good. She and she like I like to support. People who are good people. She's an incredible, I actually, she. I had dinner with her last night. What? So yeah, th- those cool. are my five okay. places.
1: What's your favorite guilty pleasure food?
0: Oh man, so many, so many. I just want to eat all the food. I love pizza.
1: Mm-hmm. Who doesn't
0: love pizza? Which toppings? No. Pepperoni. Okay. Oh. I'm a traditionalist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I like pepperoni. There's a very good pizzeria in Staten Island called Giove's. Shout out to Giove. They put stracciatella down and then he does shaved zucchini and lemon zest and prosciutto cotto. And it is wow! like, it is effing delicious. I just censored myself for you. It is <laughs> like I, also raza. Oh, yeah. I sure. mean, like I would want that at my last meal. I also love like dirty Chinese takeout. You know, I love dumplings. I love pho. I really love Asian food a lot. Okay.
1: I, I mean, could, pho is not really a guilty pleasure.
0: No, but if you, know. you get spring rolls... Sure. Maybe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> true. true, true. Three cookbooks that inspired the most, Ooh. like maybe recently.
0: Oh, great question. Damn. Stephanie Izzard's cookbook, I really love. I also really love Half-Baked Harvest, Tegan. I love her stuff. I feel like it's very similar to the vibe that we have here. It's very approachable but it's also thoughtful. Oh man, there's another cookbook that I can't think of off the top of my head, but it's stunningly beautiful. And I'm going to look at it when I get home and I'm going to tell you the name of it. I probably have... I'm going to say about 150 cookbooks at my house. I have a huge library and that's also part I'd of my... I inst- you on that one. Really? Yeah. All
1: right. I have close to 900.
0: 900. Oh yes. my God. That's amazing. It's mm-hmm. like your own library.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's- every time I go somewhere, this is where I, you know... You
0: pick something Yeah. Up. I
1: pick, and then I'm very good friend with Matt, the owner of uh, Kitchen Art and Letters, uh, uh-huh. you know, yeah, a Store in Manhattan. So every time there's something new, interesting... So yeah, really cool. I have to get it.
0: Yeah. I love cookbooks too. (laughs) Yeah. A friend of mine just gave me a cookbook of Cartier Brown, I think her last name is. And it's kind of like Southern American. I haven't dove into it yet, but I'm looking forward to it.
1: Okay. So we are sitting in front of your open kitchen, but I have a question for you here. What's your biggest pet peeves in the kitchen?
0: Oh my God. (laughs) I just rolled my eyes. I hate when people wipe their stations on the floor. I hate that. I hate that. Like, wipe it in your hands and put it in the garbage. I hate when people plate with plastic spoons. Big pet peeve. I hate when people don't taste their food. And I hate when people work like a mess. I'm So if I take a squeeze bottle out to dress my plate, I put it back where it belongs. My mother helps me cook on Thanksgiving for six hours. She was my sous chef and she kept washing things. I had to tell her, Ma, can you do this? Ma, her knife skills are actually very good. I'll give her credit for that. But she kept washing things and she'd put a clean spoon on top of my dirty cutting board. And I'm like, are you really doing that? Like, do we not know the basic serve safe rules? So like cleanliness and organization, those are big pet peeves for me. Very
1: good. Last questions. Behind the Classics. What condiments, spices, sauces, dressings do you like to have on hand at home? At
0: home. Good question. I love Calabrian chili. So I have Calabrian chili paste at home. I mean, this is might be basic. You need lemon all the time. I always have lemons at home. I like hot sauce too. So like I have multiple... I mean, again, Calabrian chili could be like hot sauce. I have like sriracha. I have cholulas. I probably have like some truffle hot sauce. I have probably so many hot sauces in my fridge. Consumments. I like to always have truffle something. So like I have truffle powder right now. But also I am obsessed with Trader Joe's. Obsessed. It's a problem. Their spices are so fun. They have one spice called everything but the leftovers. Oh, yes. Yeah, excellent spice. They have everything, but the bagel. I love their onion salt. I think it's really flavorful. So anything that Trader Joe's makes, I just buy. That my, my I'm stocked with every single Trader Joe's spice. They have a ranch spice. Excellent on broccoli, okay. roasted broccoli, really, really good. Okay,
1: maybe you could be sponsored by Trader Joe's. Oh my God, Joe. Trader
0: Joe's, call <laughs> me, call me up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, Chef, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. I'm glad that I finally was able to get you on the on the yeah, show.
0: Me too. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.
1: Thank you for listening today. And do me a favor, if you haven't seen it yet, please watch the documentary. Her name is Chef on Hulu. And follow Chef Leah Gaccione on Instagram at South and Pine and at Lia Gaccione. Please follow Flavors Unknown podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Flavors Unknown and subscribe to our newsletter on our website flavorsunknown.com as you do not want to miss any upcoming episode. If you are a chef or a foodie, please get my new book Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door wherever you buy books. Next week, the new episode will be a panel discussion with Chef Carlo Lamagna, Chef Fermi Nunez, and Chef Masako Morishita about technique beyond French techniques that is based on the chapter six of my book, Conversations Behind the Kitchen Door. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at flavorsunknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.